The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, it's here, maybe? The Fed will start winding down its emergency pandemic measures. You're calling it starting to stop buying, which is like a double negative. The starting of the stopping. But we're not stopping our shopping. Etsy CEO Josh Silverman has big plans for his holiday season. People had to turn to Etsy over the past year. They are choosing to come back even more as we move forward. And we're heating up a delivery story. Domino's CEO Rich Allison says pizza is not just for the pandemic. We've had a proven track record uh, as a brand of growing in prosperous times, not so prosperous times pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. Those stories, plus the push for family leave, a squeaker in New Jersey, and Facebook recognition. It's Thursday, November 4th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up on today's podcast, Taper Talk. The Federal Reserve announced yesterday that it will soon begin reducing the pace of its monthly bond purchases. Chairman Jay Powell spoke at a press conference that wrapped up the Fed's two-day meeting. Today, the FOMC kept interest rates near zero and, in light of the progress the economy has made toward our goals, decided to begin reducing the pace of asset purchases. This is the first step after the emergency. In March of 2020, the emergency we're talking about, obviously, the central bank deployed quite literally every tool in its toolbox to support the markets while COVID threatened our economic stability. We've been hearing about the possibility of the Fed pulling all that back for months. And now it says, finally, the time has come. But the Fed is still a buyer. The taper will start with monthly reductions of $15 billion in asset purchases, ticking down the current purchase each month. Last December, the committee stated its intention to continue asset purchases at a pace of at least $120 billion per month until substantial further progress has been made toward our maximum employment and price stability goals. At today's meeting, the committee judged that the economy has met this test and decided to begin reducing the pace of its asset purchases. And that's where we started on today's TV broadcast. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kern and Becky's off today. Nice to see you, Joe. It's just, here, just the I'm boys today. You. I'm here for I'm you. I'm here for you. We, we got a lot going on uh, post-Fed uh, fed taper. A little, I, don't, I don't know if it's a real taper. It feels like it's like the beginning of it. It's like the mini taper. But we're going to uh, talk about uh, the start of the markets. I, I actually thought about say, that. Joe? I thought about that, too, Andrew, that it's, it's a taper. It's, I, I have trouble saying we're starting something because what we're really doing is ending something. It's not that we're going to, you know, you're calling it starting to stop buying, which is right. like a double negative. The it's, starting it's, of the stopping. Yeah, it's starting the stopping, which, which just means we're going to start doing less of what has been. I mean, that's a lot of money every month. Isn't it? 100, whatever, 120. That's a lot of money every month to buy stuff. That has to be giving 
support to those assets, which keeps yields down. It has to be part of this mess, I think. I it has to be. And so it's surprising to me that the markets actually are not having a tantrum just yet. And the question right. is whether they will have a lot of good, a lot a of good things happening on, on in the in the real economy, rather than you know the supply chain's right. a problem. But we are eventually going to be back to hopefully back to normal. And we got the kids getting them now, so you know getting it now. So every all the kids except for Aaron Rodgers, apparently. Anyway, go ahead. apparently yes <laughs> yes. Uh, homeopathic. He had a homeopathic remedy. I, I wondered about that. that. Uh, I'm, I'm immunized. What does that even mean? Did, did, is it Latro? How does it work? What do you use? You go to Mexico for it? How do you get uh, that, that, this, this newfangled? Uh, would you do I, that? I, I don't want a vaccine. I want, uh, I don't know, it's squeezed from a, uh, a turnip or something. What is it? I don't know. Anyway, go. we shouldn't make fun of him. He's a great quarterback. And uh, developing last night, this was, uh, I don't know whether you'd call it a uh, foregone conclusion, but it looked like it was headed this way with the, the counties that, and the precincts that were outstanding. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy avoiding Murphy's law. It didn't happen. Um, he is going to uh, win. He's projected to win his bid for re-election after an unexpectedly tight contest with challenger Jack Cittarelli. You know, we just had the most New Jersey experience. I was on my way someplace. And it took us longer to get there than we planned. Murphy's the first incumbent Democrat governor to win re-election in New Jersey since 1977, which is weird. It's, can you say John Corzon? Who, why would that be the case in such a blue state? You would think you get a good Democrat in there, you would think that it wouldn't be that hard to be reelected, but it hadn't happened in all those years. Cittarelli uh, had hammered Murphy in recent weeks uh, for raising taxes during his tenure, even forcing Murphy to say that he's not going to raise taxes uh, this next year. But he ran ads that featured Murphy uh, saying in 2019, if you're a one-issue voter uh, and the tax rate is your issue, we're probably not your state. And then Jack Cittarelli said, who says that in every single ad, which I got tired of hearing. But I, I agree. Who would say that? But when you say it once, that's enough. Democrats in New Jersey hold an advantage of more than one million registered voters uh, than Republicans. And that's a big number. Um, you know, we think about a lot of times how many people are in the, in the country. I mean, you look down in, in Virginia, we're talking about 75,000 votes out of, you know, it's not like 50 million. It's about two, three, four million, something like that. 75,000 was close even down there. Close here, much closer than Close you would here. think. For for for, it was outspent, yep. and it, the, the polls the day before were double digit, showing or close nine, ten points, something like that, and it ended up being what one point probably. Right. Let's get an update now on the Democrat social spending plan. Still a bit of a work in progress at this point. Now it appears paid leave back on the table. We're going to go to Washington D.C. right now, where Elon Moy joins us with the latest. Good morning. A good morning, Andrew. Paid leave is back in Democrats' social spending package after intense pressure from activists and some well-known companies. The updated text of the bill in the House was released yesterday, and it includes four weeks of paid family or medical leave. It starts in 2024, and it's estimated to cost about $200 billion. In a statement, the Democratic Women's Caucus said the proposal is critical to ensuring millions of women can address their care needs and return to the workforce, adding billions of dollars to our economy. Now, businesses large and small joined in this effort as well to restore paid leave. Some of the big names include Diageo, Salesforce, Pinterest, and Stitch Fix. 
Liz Meyer-Dirk is the CEO of The Pill Club, an online women's health startup with 400 employees. She said these benefits can help businesses attract workers in a tight labor market. I think a lot about how do we show up for our employees um, and how do we make sure we are addressing mental, physical, emotional needs and putting in policies can give employees that sense of security and comfort that um, the company that you're working at, working with, working for is thinking about you holistically as a person. But this proposal still does not have the blessing of Senator Joe Manchin, who has called it a challenge. So even though, guys, the House wants to vote on this bill by the end of the week, there are still some hurdles in the Senate. Back over to you. Shall I ask you to handicap it? I've been asking that for weeks now, and it's very hard to begin to know what's about to happen here. Yeah, I think that the reconciliation package, the social spending package, those negotiations likely drag out, if not through Thanksgiving, then perhaps even through Christmas. Um, the infrastructure bill, my bet would be that there is pressure to decouple that vote and for the House to go ahead and vote on that and be able to send it to the president's desk. Uh, but clearly there is now a movement in the House not to wait on the Senate for this broader package and not to what they're calling pre-conference, make sure everything is agreed to before they bring that to the floor. Um, because they're feeling a lot of pressure after the Virginia and uh, New Jersey election well, to ask. get something I, done. What, what's that feel when you say, when you say that there's this pressure? What does that feel like on the ground when you talk to folks when when they look at the, the Glenn Youngkin win? What's the what's the true takeaway? Do you really feel like there's a sense that there's that they they've got to move now? Well, I think the biggest sense is that they should have done something earlier, right? And so now they're playing a little bit of catch-up and wondering what can they do to sort of make up for the fact that they didn't move earlier. President Biden said it himself, that they should have voted on some of this, at least part of this package, before the election. Maybe that could have made a difference. Right. We heard that as well. But uh, you think the takeaway they're taking is that they just were... Since Virginia. But you're, you're, you're suggesting the takeaway that they're taking away from this is more about the in inaction as opposed to the underlying policy. Meaning that, that's what I was trying to understand in terms of the I, lesson, to the extent there's a lesson in this that's being absorbed. I think that there is a political desire for a win to make up for the loss on, in Virginia. And so that is why you're seeing this pressure for an action. In terms of what is the right policy, I think right now it feels like a lot of spaghetti against the wall. And that's sort of the deeper debate that they're going to need to have ahead of the midterms. Um, but right now they just want to win wherever it can come from. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Elon, both sides have different viewpoints. I don't know how, if I were a Republican, as I say, um, and I wink, if I were a Republican, I don't know if I'd dissuade the Democrats from saying, yeah, you're right. It's that you didn't do enough because the journal comes right out and says um, that Democrats are reeling from an election that repudiated the progressive agenda nationwide. Not that they didn't double down on it, which is what we're seeing some of the, the far left say. In fact, and this is what I wanted to bring up, uh, Elon, the way the journal characterizes uh, the family leave going back in, journal says, sure enough, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is still plowing ahead to pass the $4 trillion tax uh, and spending bill, and she's even sneering at Senator Joe Manchin by restoring a paid family leave entitlement that Manchin has expressly rejected. And I saw, I actually saw Senator Manchin last night. On a, on a, it was a very good interview. It was on another network, obviously. Um, well, not obviously, but it just happened to be. And, and he's, I would say he's, he, was hum, he was humble, but he certainly has not been less 
Um, I, I think he's been emboldened to some extent that he's been right about this all along. He's not going to back down on family leave. So this is going to come back out. Why even put it in for, for a progressive just to say, oh, I'm listening to you? It's not going to pass muster. Again, this is the division between the House and the Senate. We've talked about the divisions between progressives and moderates. The House and the Senate are now having their own inter-party fight as well. And I think that, look, I'm not going to weigh in on should they have gone bigger or should they have gone smaller, right? That is the debate Democrats are going to have. But what I will say is that it's clear that Democrats don't have direction in this and that the president's visit to Capitol Hill didn't offer any clarity on that. And so Democrats are looking for some leadership and trying to decide which way to go. And they're not getting that direction right now from the White House, and they're trying to find it internally, and they, they can't settle on which way to go. They need a clear message and a clear direction, and that's been one of the problems with this bill to begin with. Right. That's what I'm saying. Republicans would say, yeah, 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 go for it. Keep, keep doing it, because there is another election in a year. Thank you, uh, Elon Boy. We appreciate it. Former uh, world chess champion Gary Kasparov is blasting Facebook this morning, speaking to CNBC at the Web Summit Tech Conference in Lisbon. Kasparov said that Facebook was wrong to shut down its facial recognition system. He said uh, it's bowing uh, to this public outrage. Personally, I think it's stupid. Yeah. I think it's stupid for a simple reason. Facebook can shut it down. Chinese will not do this is, it's, this is it's, it's insane to think that, you know, in the global, in the era of global Internet, mm-hmm. you can actually start, you know, forcing company in America or in Europe to follow these rules and to abandon some of the new, you know, features, and they will not appear. In shutting down that feature, Facebook said in a blog post uh, that there were many concerns about the use of facial recognition uh, technology in society, noting that regulators are still in the process of providing rules uh, to govern its use. You, you do that, I, I do it on, on the phone, uh, right? To get in, you don't put your, your code in anymore. You ever have sunglasses on? That, that doesn't work. It must be in the eyes. That must be important uh, uh, data points for, for, for my you little phone. You can wear them but, on, the, but, on the iPhone. But, but it doesn't recognize me. You can me. do it. It doesn't recognize me when I have. And I was just laughing because there are, t- <laughs> there are times in the morning where I think it can't recognize me just because I look like I just got it. It's like, no, that's not him. And I kind of like have to, you know, because my face kind of looks like an unmade bed uh, at times. But, but then I see that I'm real. with I'm, your glasses on. It's supposed to. <laughs> no, I see that I'm not, not real. It, it works. It works really well. It works. Sometimes I, and if you have a mask on, it doesn't work, obviously. So there's if times that, and right. what's the most important feature? You think it's the eyes? For that to work? No, no. So what it's doing is it's, there's a, it's a camera, but there's also effectively it's, it's, uh, you put a laser a, on it that's yeah, mapping you put the in face. A, I remember putting in and my, and it, it, it went around like right. that and took me from all different right. angles. I felt sorry for it that it had to quite that uh, zoom in like that. But I don't know. I just thought that sometimes in the morning it's like, eh, I don't know really whether that's, uh, that's him. Next on Squawk Pod, holiday sales begin. Etsy CEO Josh Silverman is forecasting good tidings to his business this season. People have multitudes more choice. They're moving all around and and shopping anywhere they want. Mask sales are immaterial to Etsy. There's no stimulus. And we're guiding that we're going to be significantly up over fourth quarter of last year. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Track, stand Andrew by. This is Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. Let's talk a little bit about Etsy right now because online craft seller Etsy reported third quarter results that beat on the top and bottom lines, but shares fell after the company forecast revenue lower than some analysts expected. Josh Silverman is here. He's the CEO of Etsy. Josh, it's great to see you. We've been talking about sort of what's happening um, both in the marketplace and also the real economy. You're seeing it in, in both your results, which were very positive, but of course, the market thinking that maybe in the future things were going to be even better uh, than, than maybe you think. What is happening? Etsy had a remarkable third quarter and gave a guide for the fourth quarter that we think is extremely robust. Uh, so we feel great about our fourth quarter guide. And let's, let's remember the moment in time we're in. The fourth quarter of Etsy last year uh, we grew 111% in the fourth quarter of 2020. And remembering what the fourth quarter felt like, it was pretty awful for most people in the world. Uh, COVID cases were skyrocketing. Hospitalizations were skyrocketing. The world was in lockdown. And so people had very few choices. And in that moment, they turned to Etsy. Etsy was one of the few places that you could reliably buy online. Add to that that there was stimulus and a ton of people buying masks. And the whole conversation since then has been, once the world reopens, how much of that will you lose? How much of that will you give up? And that was a a, a fair thing to ask. Here we are entering the fourth quarter of 2021. People have multitudes more choice. They're moving all around and and shopping anywhere they want. Uh, Mask sales are immaterial to Etsy. Uh, There's no stimulus. And we're guiding that we're going to be significantly up over uh, fourth quarter of last year. That's that's a result that very few people would have predicted uh, as recently as a, as, as a few months ago. In fact, our guide at the midpoint says that we're gonna grow in the fourth quarter 146% over where we were in the fourth quarter of 2019 before the pandemic. So what it shows is people had to turn to Etsy uh, over the past year. They are choosing to come back even more uh, as we move forward. And we think that's frankly remarkable. And and that is what people talk about, the acceleration of these businesses. But it goes to this idea of how much was pulled forward and and how much now branding and awareness have you gained during this period so that it's sustainable long term. And, And I think that's the question that investors are asking this morning. That's right. And and we had a lot of good news in, in our earnings forecast about that. For example, gross merchandise sales per active buyer is up 20% year over year in the third quarter. Again, in a quarter when 
uh, stores are open and people are able to to shop uh, very much like they were shopping uh, before the before the pandemic. We shared a lot about our cohort data. There, there were questions about these new cohorts we got during the pandemic and how uh, these are people who, again, had to turn to Etsy. So what was it gonna be like as stores reopened? And in fact, the new cohorts who've joined Etsy uh, over the past year are performing even better than the cohorts that we were acquiring historically. So we're incredibly encouraged about our ability to, uh, to maintain and grow on top of the gains we've made uh, over the past year. What are you hearing from your sellers when it comes to supply chain issues, uh, costs, and margin? I think this again highlights the, the the benefit of the Etsy model. So the vast majority of our sellers source locally. 93% of our sellers source within their own uh, country. In the U.S., it's hyperlocal. 47% of our sellers source within their own state. And our survey research among sellers says they're less concerned about their supply chains than they were last year. Most of them, their supply chain is down the street plus two hands making. Add to that the fact that uh, there's just a huge abundance of uh, variety on Etsy. There's there's over 100 million things for sale. So in the last two weeks, uh, what we saw was that the, the, the majority of our searches had over 1,000 items. Over half of the searches on Etsy, there were 1,000 search results, and 95% of, of searches on Etsy had more than 100 search results. So in the rare instance when one seller might be out of stock, there's many other sellers there. So we do think Etsy's quite resilient. How concerned are you about the overlap of merchants selling on both an Etsy, for example, and the Amazon platform? Yeah, I mean, one of the best ways for us to build loyalty is to have our sellers go and try to sell on Amazon. It's the best marketing for Etsy because other marketplaces are just going to go and list their items with a a small thumbnail and a price next to a whole bunch of things that are mass manufactured. And it's incredibly hard for them to compete. But on Etsy, they get a chance to tell their story, show how this item is made just for just for the buyer, how it can be personalized and customized. And they're facing an audience of of tens of millions of buyers who genuinely want to buy directly from the the seller. So Etsy gives them a chance to compete on a level playing ground where they don't find that anywhere else. And and then finally, I was going to ask you about advertising, uh, digital advertising, obviously, Facebook and Snap and some others have had some big issues in terms of being able to reach the consumer in the way that they used to, given some of the changes around privacy uh, with Apple. Where, Where are you seeing the spend right now? There is a lot more spend going to, to Google right now, and people are talking about uh, their product listing ad prices going up. Etsy is so long tail. We're buying things that are so scarce uh, that, that we really haven't seen a lot of price pressure. Uh, and our performance marketing uh, continues to perform really well. And in fact, the third quarter came in a lot higher on margins than we or a lot of people expected because we pulled back on a lot of our marketing in order to test uh, incrementality, to test how much extra return we're getting from that that marketing. And we were really pleased that our organic traffic stayed extremely strong. Our Q3 Q3 results were really strong on the top line, in spite of us actually pulling back on marketing. Now, in the fourth quarter, we're certainly going to be marketing. We're going to be loud. Uh, You're going to see us on TV with beautiful spots that remind people of how Etsy is different, that create an emotional connection for Etsy. We think this is exactly the right time for us to be telling our story. Josh, it's always good to see you. I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Great to see you. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, my favorite words 
your pizza is on the way. CEO of Domino's, Rich Allison, on how your pizza is coming to you. We've already been doing some uh, autonomous deliveries down in the Houston market. I think we'll be using more robots than drones in the future. Squawk Pod and some snacks on the other side of this break. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. And don't adjust your TV. It's just us. Becky is, is off today. Andrew. Labor shortages and supply chain issues hitting everything from holiday shopping to groceries and now pizza. Joining us to talk more about those issues is Rich Allison, CEO of Domino's Pizza. Rich, good to see you this morning. We all want to eat a little pepperoni at this hour, and I know that uh, Joe's a little hungry too, so next time we're going to do this in person together with a pie. But, but help us try to understand where we are in this economy right now, especially when it comes to labor, the price of labor, and how hard it is to attract labor. Uh, that seems to be an issue that's hitting uh, the, the entire food industry. You know, Andrew, you're right. You know, it certainly impacted us here at Domino's and, and broadly across the restaurant industry. It's one of the tightest labor markets we've seen in a long time. So, you know, a lot of things that, you know, that we're trying to do, uh, you know, under our control to, to, to affect, you know, the outcomes here. We've been raising wages, you know, in our corporate stores and in our supply chain centers, adding benefits, you know, improving our processes and bringing technology forward to improve worker uh, productivity in our stores. But it's a challenging time for sure. Um, we've, we've often looked at uh, a Domino's. Domino's for a little bit was a pandemic play. There was a view that people were going to be staying at home, working from home and eating lots of pizza. Um, how sustainable do you think that is? And what are you seeing in terms of the business as it appears that hopefully we're on the backside of this pandemic? You know, Andrew, one of the things we try to do is look at the business on a on a two year uh, basis, you know, going back to pre-COVID in 2019. And if you look at both our U.S. and our international businesses, you look at the comp. Interestingly, in both of those businesses on a two year basis, you know, the stack is about a 15. So significantly larger business than we had a couple of years back. And I think we've uh, we've had a proven track record uh, as a brand of, uh, of of growing in prosperous times, not so prosperous times pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. What are you having to do in terms of pricing, g- given the higher cost of labor and what I have to imagine might even be the higher cost of ingredients? Yeah, both we're, we're seeing and you, know, you saw it in our third quarter numbers, certainly in the U.S. inflation you know, hit us both on the labor front and on the uh, on the food basket. And, you know, we expect that to continue, you know, for some time to come. And so we're looking at all the levers that we have in the business, you know, around pricing, um, you know, some of which we set at a national level. And then, of course, we have local prices for delivery fees and for menu prices that our franchisees set around the country where they can adapt those prices to the local 
uh, cost environment. So we'll continue to manage and pull those levers, you know, as we look forward into, again, what we expect to be a, a rather inflationary environment for some time to come. And what's the story on technology? It, it appears that every every major restaurant chain in America is investing a lot more in technology than they ever did when it comes to apps and the like. What, what, what's the cost look like for you at this point? Well, the, yeah, this is an area where we were really fortunate going into the pandemic to be well out ahead in the industry. We were already in the U.S. Uh, in a place where we had 70 percent of our sales coming through digital channels. You know, when COVID hit, that jumped up to 75. And, you know, we don't see that coming back down. Uh, once consumers shift to digital ordering, uh, they continue to stay that way. And that's good for them. It's a better experience. And it's good for us because we get better customer uh, retention, higher ticket, uh, et cetera. So we've got to continue, uh, as we have for a decade plus now, investing in technology. We'll be doing that in our consumer-facing ordering applications. We're investing in our point of sale system in our stores to make our stores easier to operate and continuing to invest in tech around the operation of making and delivering pizzas such that we can continue to get more efficient given the labor environment that we're all uh, that we're all working in today. It's fascinating. Are, are you um, spending your money in terms of advertising and marketing spend differently in this environment? So uh, not not materially different, you know, certainly over time, uh, you know, we, we've got great, um, uh, great analytics and insights folks here at Domino's that help us optimize our marketing spend. So certainly over time, you know, our spend will shift. There's been a lot of shift, as you might imagine, you know, from print over time to television and ultimately to digital. And we continue to, to amp up that digital spend over time. We also see, you know, spend shifting over time, you know, away uh, from, you know, some of our, you know, some of our live TV, um, you know, to, uh, to more of, uh, you know, uh, more away from linear TV, if you will, you know, to some of the more um, streaming services and other, uh, other areas where consumers are, are bringing their eyeballs more today. Are you finding, I mean, we're always trying to, to, to look at different spends to try to understand how some of the tech companies are going to be doing. Are you finding uh, one having more performance than another right now? Well, you know, we, we continue to look at those levers and optimize on an ongoing basis. And we've got great models that help us understand the return on investment in each of those channels. And so you know, we only spend where we feel like we're getting a strong ROI and we turn the dials regularly to make sure that continues to happen. Hey, Rich, have you, um, you did one of your predecessors did some heavy lifting. Do you remember the whole relaunch? And, and that was very effective and, and the quality still Still there. What's what's today? Thursday. So I was there Tuesday uh, with my son and uh, we go in now. I, I have called and not been able to have a driver. I have called and they've said we don't have any drivers today. So it's better. It's cheaper. I pick it up. It's hot. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's just better, I think, to go in. And that's what I, I'm my own delivery man now. And I pay myself a lot. Well, you know, we have seen a big increase in our carryout business, uh, Joe, you know, over the last you know five, six years, it's grown significantly faster than the delivery side of our business and, you know, accounts for about 45% of our transactions in the U.S. So more and more customers are choosing to come and, uh, and pick up their pizza. And, and we put some technology in place and some operational practices like our Domino's car side delivery to try to make that easier for you. And, and that channel is going to be more and more important as we continue to deal with the, uh, with the labor crunch that we've got, particularly around delivery drivers today. Right. 
Rich, we got to go. When are we going to get delivery by drone for real? <laughs> you know, we've already been doing, Andrew, some uh, autonomous deliveries down in the Houston market you know, via neuro right. robot. So I think we'll be using more robots than drones in the future. Okay. Rich, it's good to see you. Hope to see you in person with a pie next time. We'll bring you one. And that's the show for today. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin on weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you have anything to say, good, bad, neutral, you want to share us with your friends, hit us up on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.